Hey, welcome everybody. This is Marketing Management and Money uh, with Ryan and Ethan. We're going to do a follow-up from where we were last episode. So last episode, The Title Myth. Uh, if you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly recommend checking that episode out. Not only was it uh, a great episode in my opinion, but it also is kind of the uh, lead-in to where we're going to be today. So we, we ended that episode talking about the impact of titles and what it would have on employees, you know, kind of like uh, what it can do to your, your culture. Sometimes, you know, titles can start to block uh, your culture. But also we talked about uh, with employees, you know, trying to help them progress into, you know, new positions or, or basically being accommodating to their, you know, their goals and their, uh, you know, uh, their aspirations. Uh, professionally. And so that's what we want to jump into. Now, this is what's really cool about this is uh, we left off with that episode. And between the time that we did that episode and this episode, you actually uh, did a little bit of research on uh, something that we're going to tie into this whole scenario. And it's basically dealing with the great attrition that has been taking place there, there have been a ton of people that have been leaving the workforce, and uh, so you, you did, you, you did some homework, found a, a very interesting study that explains what's going on there, and so uh, we're gonna kind of blend this all together, and you know, we're, we're gonna segue from the importance of titles or the role that titles play in a company, and and now we're going to start talking about what things, what tools you have as uh, you know, as an owner, as an employer, to attract the right talent, to keep them engaged in the company, and and, and so let let's start off with. With the uh, let, let's tie it in with the titles, but then let's go into what you know what the research says because titles really is just a drop in the bucket. There's there's a lot going on yeah. here, and I have to preface probably this ep- episode with this sole comment about myself and my leadership philosophy, and that is, I would much rather train my employees and have them leave than to fear that my employees are going to leave or fear that my employees are going to become competition. So never train them and be stuck with horrible employees. I, I, I was in a uh, seminar once and the lady presenting, she said, if you think it's expensive to train your employees just to watch them, you know, find a better job somewhere else. She's like, think about how expensive it is to not train your workforce. Yeah. And, you know, if you have an unskilled workforce that you're dealing with, I would much rather have a skilled workforce that leaves because, you know, the culture is still there, even though an individual leaves. Correct. And so, uh, and I'm, you know, by windfall, I come across an article and it was, uh, actually the study was done by McKinsey and company and it's out there on, uh, just great trends that have been happening through COVID with employees leaving and, and why they've left and et cetera. And it just codified my belief. So if you're not of the mindset that, uh, it's highly important to train your employees knowing that, yes, they may leave um, because if I can't provide opportunity growth outside of that, even though I believe that they should be highly trained, they're probably going to go on to a bigger and better things, which I'm super happy for them because I want them to have better lives. Um, or if I can retain them, that's even more fantastic, but I want them to be trained. I don't want to be stuck with a dead workforce. So, mm-hmm. and And it was amazing to see uh, in that study that they did the survey when they started releasing all the data that's out there now on it, um, 
why those people left. And when you when you look at it, and they didn't do it just for the United States. It was a number of different countries, but I'm going to focus on the United States because that's kind of our market and where mm-hmm. we live. And uh, uh, the United States, the UK, Canada, we were all fairly equal in about where the stats fell and the reasons of, um, you know, why people left their current position um, during COVID. And I think it comes down to ultimately this. When all of a sudden they were given time away from their current position when things kind of shut down and mm-hmm. they says, you know what? I really didn't like my job. Right. Or and, I didn't need my job. Yeah. And so then they started gravitating to other places. So um, in that study, it was uh, when you look at the data, um, about 40% of the workforce made a change. Yeah. Which is, I'm just like... <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I knew people that did, but I didn't pay attention enough to say that it was See, that significant. I don't know that I was as surprised as you were because, you know, this was just uh, reaffirming what I had seen and what I had dealt with, uh, not only personally, but also dealt with with other people that I, you know, communicate with that are just like, I can't find work. I can't find work. No one wants to do a job. And so when you said yeah. 40%, I'm like, yeah with how many conversations I've had just in my own network of people that have been struggling with this, I wasn't shocked by that number. So of that 40%, there was a percentage that uh, did not come back to work. And keep in mind, um, I, you know, I sometimes when I have conversations, people freak out and yeah, those lazy people. No, 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 no. A lot of the baby boomers said, I'm just going to retire. Yeah. I'm permanently going to retire now. So the vast majority of them are people who just retired. You have to remember the um, the largest, well, not anymore, but up until a, just this last year or two, the baby boomers were the largest generation in the workforce still. Mm-hmm. And so uh, a number of them have stepped down now um, and just fully gone into retirement. Mm-hmm. So that it, it's okay. So when when you look at the study and the stats, don't don't freak out with it's a whole bunch of people who are now just milking the system because that is not true. Right. Okay. That's not what it's saying. So, right. um, but about, uh, anyways, a large percentage of that afterwards were people who changed, completely changed industries, which was crazy to me. They they're working somewhere. I didn't really like it. And now this was my opportunity to make a change, give me time to do some homework and research. And they actually changed industries. Wow. So, uh, again, we actually, and uh, he was a guest on, on our podcast, uh, so Brent Wilson, if any oh, of you yeah, guys caught yeah. the, the episode with him, he did that. So yes, he did. he was headhunted because of his skill set, went into a completely different industry, an industry that he had no experience in whatsoever. And, you know, I keep in contact with him. Uh, he's thriving in that industry. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that's, that's a good case study of someone who, uh, you know, decided to transition to a different industry and it's working just fine, just fine. Yeah. Now there, there is a percentage. So I'm going to break, I'm going to do percentages inside of percentages, which is going to be a little bit confusing. So don't, <laughs> I, I'll try to keep it clean, but <laughs> so percentage of the 40% that did, didn't go back to the workforce. So we, we lost that, which is in my opinion, in many ways, good because it creates other job, job opportunities for younger generations. And we have, um, 
I always forget the, the next generations that are coming up, but um, I think it's the Ys and the next largest one after the baby boomers. Yeah, it goes, I think it's XYZ, and then so, there's some other one. And um, anyway, so it's going to provide more opportunities. Plus, if you're in the workforce, it provided opportunities possibly for you for growth and increase. So, so having uh, more baby boomers leave is not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it creates more opportunity uh, for others. And so... That's good and bad, mm-hmm. uh, but then thirty-five of that forty percent, about thirty-five percent of them actually um, stayed in the industry but took a new job. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the point I probably want to focus on because of the discussion today. When you look at those individuals there that um, decided to stay in an industry but change their jobs. Um, what was crazy about that is that the the top reasons uh, came down to things like meaningfulness of work Mm -hmm. and uh, compensation. So it had to be a combination. And, and even though. uh, Now, now, let me clarify something on the compensation because, so when you forwarded the article uh, onto me and I read over it, Compensation, it was interesting because if you look at it from a traditional, and they do put a category of traditionalists. Yes. And there's, you know, there's still a very large group of people that, you know, they just want compensation for the sake of compensation. A raise is always a good thing. Now, I'm kind of extrapolating a little bit here. Yeah. But uh, it did point out in the study that adequate compensation, so there's a large group that's willing to take lower pay for things like meaningful work or quality of life or ability. Flexibility of work. Yeah, flexibility was a big one. And, and so yes. so I, I want to just make sure that our listeners are understanding that when we say compensation, don't get hung up on, oh, well, you know, if I just offer more money, then that's how I'm going to attract talent. Because it pointed out in the article that people that are just offering more money, so people are shifting because they can do the same work working for someone else and make significantly more money, but that's just causing a, you know, kind of like this 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 price spike where companies are having a difficult time because now their cost of labor just went up because they're only looking at it through the, the compensation lens. Yes. So just just keep in mind that there's, you know, different forms well, of compensation. Well, and we, we preach all the time in our podcast that compensation or wages is only a satisfier. Yes. Okay. It, it And you have to keep that in mind that at some point in time, it doesn't matter how much more you pay someone, they can't be more productive and they're not going to be more satisfied. Mm-hmm. So you have to find the balance at which it is. And then you use benefits. And too often when we think of benefits, we think of health. Okay. Well, that's not the limit of the benefits. Yeah. There's so many other benefits that can be done uh, that become the bonus for the employee of why they want to be there and why they want to work there. Mm-hmm. What flexibility in the workplace is one of those. And, and that was a huge one, according to this study, that, yeah. uh, you know, they looked at work flexibility. Can you work from home or can you work from any, you know, any location in the world, um, you know, or flexibility to attend to family responsibilities? You know, if you have to care for children or care for an elderly parent, uh, do you have the flexibility to do that? Uh, do you have the flexibility to pursue other hobbies and interests, self-care? 
You know, can you can you take care of your own personal health? And so those were actually, and I found that so fascinating in the study that you know I expected healthcare to be you know bigger. The the interesting thing, and you and I we've talked about this a lot. Healthcare is just a dollar amount. You know, Correct. if if my company provides it, great. But I can go out and I can get my own health care. It's just a dollar amount. But Correct. quality of life is not necessarily a dollar amount. And so, you know, if I if I miss my you know my kids' soccer games, I I, I can't just you know pay a certain price to to make that happen. I have to have that time. So, in this study, healthcare was not. You know, and, and I, I guess That's it's right. wrapped into the, the compensation, adequate compensation, because people stu- still do care about health benefits, but I don't think they care about them like they traditionally did. So the, the top three that were on the list, uh-huh. why people made a transition, were uh, flexibility of the workplace, mm-hmm. meaningfulness of work, mm-hmm. which is a little bit nebulous to me. <laughs> But I, I, oh, I, I get it, I, I, but it is nebulous, if you know what I mean, because for everyone, that's going to be a little bit different. And then the total compensation. So that, that's what was fascinating to me. That, and, and all three of those ranked pretty equal uh, when you think about it. So which tells me something very interesting about employees today, mm-hmm. and that is compensation is important. Because we understand that money provides a better way of life for us. I can provide a nicer car. I can make sure that I have a better fridge. Um, I can uh, take my family on a vacation. So, so compensation is there. However, if compensation is there but I don't get time off, it, it, it no longer is that important. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. The meaningfulness of work or the flexibility that, like you talk about, the ability to be able to step away at three o'clock in the afternoon to go to a soccer game and knowing that I can either finish work when I get home that evening or even sneak back into the office afterwards. But I had that flexibility to sneak out and not feel like everyone's staring at me. Like I can't believe you're leaving work early. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. That we were so stuck on. So the traditional model is that we work hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. The new model is I get paid to get things done. And so this is interesting, and I want to, uh, to me, this was kind of how we, we got into, you know, this particular uh, research report. Uh, so we were talking about titles and the importance of titles, and the traditionalist approach was you give someone titles, you give someone wage increases, you work them to death, you know. Like, <laughs> That's right. And, 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 and that was very much climbing the the corporate ladder of success and um you know and we talked a lot about titles and 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 how you need them and but it was very interesting now there's still a group out there there's a very traditional group out there uh, but it was interesting in this report that it alluded to the fact that once you hit about your mid-40s there's a large percentage of people that think differently act differently so if you're working with an Correct. older population, they tend to be more traditionalist. They want that title. That means a lot to them. They want to see what their wage is going to be. That means a lot to them. Correct. You get to a younger population, 
they still care about a title, but they care more about what the job is going to be, the holistic, you know, job. Like, what's the culture of the Correct. company? How, you know, can I walk away in the middle of the day and are people going to think that I'm a slacker or are they going to be like, oh, yeah, we all do that, you know? And so uh, a very, very big shift in in that. So when I was reading this report, I started going back to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And yeah. I love I yeah. love Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I, I, I think that's really, you know, a fascinating foundation for a lot of human behavior. So historically, and if you if you look at it, I'm going to try and sum this up because, man, I could talk about this all day long. But uh, so there was a big industrial revolution that brought people from farming their own farms into cities. And that happened, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, where there were a lot of people that were starting to move into these cities and they changed their lifestyle. Well, that industrial revolution created a, a work culture. You know, it it gave birth to the nine to five, 40 hour work week. Correct. It created the hierarchy of titles. Uh, you were very much a cog in a process. And and that was that was how things were done. So, you know, fast forward a century later, roughly speaking. Right. Fast forward a century later and people start challenging this belief system. But if you go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the Industrial Revolution brought on something that humans hadn't really had, and that was this opportunity to live outside of work. It used to be very much survival. You know, yes. if, if you're on the farm, yes. man, if you don't get that field planted, you starve That's in right. the winter. And, and that was a reality. And then all of a sudden, you had a job where it's like, oh, I actually have my nights and weekends free. Maybe I can pursue some of my interests, some of my hobbies. But it was still very limited, right? Well, fast forward to today, no one thinks about survival as a general rule. There are people who still unfortunately are in bad situations. But I'm talking as a general rule, our society doesn't think about survival as the top need. Mm -hmm. They don't even think about, you know, like some of the, uh, so, so, you know, it starts with kind of this idea of you need survival and then you need to kind of build uh, your own protective environment. You know, I'm I'm talking Maslow's and I apologize that I don't remember off the top of my head what he calls those, you know, but it moves up to kind of a self-actualization where this higher need of, hey, I want to be somebody, I want to do something. And I just thought, I'm like, wow, that's that's presenting itself because when when you start realizing that more money is not going to leave a legacy in your mind, then you start going after other things. You're like, well, wait a second. I want to pursue my interests. I want to have time for, you know, for me. I want to make sure that my health is taken care of because I don't want to get all beat up in my 50s and have poor health mm-hmm. for the next 40 years because I know I'm going to live into my 90s, you know? Right. Back in the day when you died at 55, it was okay to be beat up by the time you were 50 years old. You know? Yeah. All right. So uh, I appreciate that insight. I was going <clears> to <throat> say, please bring it back in because I'm like, let's now, just go everywhere. <laughs> but the question that we want to make sure that we address is why all this background and what does this all have to do with employee advancement and uh, employee um, development is probably a better word so that we have employees who are invested in what we do because an employee who's invested in your organization uh, actually will care and uh, 
as soon as five o'clock hits, they won't just say, well, it's not my problem anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's what we want. But at the same time, there's a trade-off, you know? Um, and so if you really want to develop those employees, you have to understand this data. You have to understand the human nature and the, the hierarchy of that uh, Maslow chart because then you understand how people develop and they think, and then you can develop your strategies around that to develop those people. Mm. So that's what's important to do it. And then with that back piece that's always lingering out there is, what do I want the culture of my company to be? Mm. Okay. And, and unfortunately, it's complex just enough that what may work for your sales department may not work for your assembly line. Yeah. So you got to keep these pieces, and this is why we share all this information. So as you're thinking about the big picture, the different departments inside of your organization, you structure them accordingly with the same mindset that everyone understands that we have different roles, we have different responsibilities, and we have to develop our employees and our departments differently. Mm-hmm. Okay, just like raising kids. I don't raise my kids the same way. They are dramatically different. Right. And how I discipline one, I can't do to the other because the other one just looks at me and says, <laughs> you're an idiot. This doesn't work, okay? So <laughs> employees are that same way. And when we come in with that holistic approach to say, I'm understanding all of this together now allows me to say, okay, this employee, this is a good way for them to develop and create a pathway that they feel like they have some advancement opportunities and development opportunities. And that at some point in time, they will be in a better position um, with or outside of our organization sometimes unfortunately because we develop them and allow them to go on and do better bigger and better things Mm -hmm. and and i've always said this i truly believe that when i develop an employee and when they leave on good terms they will always brag about my company Mm -hmm. they'll always brag about the organization they always brag about you as an individual right right yeah they become your marketing piece that's correct and it makes it so much easier now for me to uh attract good employees because that's the type of individual that an organization and culture they want to work for. And that's something that I want to hit on. Uh, You know, you're saying, let's bring this into the tangible. So uh, I hear this a lot. I can't find good employees. Mm -hmm. It's just a common complaint that a lot of people are putting out there. So first off, I'm going to tell you right now, if that's your attitude, (laughs) that's a bad attitude. It's, It's a stupid statement to make. Because, you know... I have to agree. Here's what I'm going to say. First off, ask yourself this question. What is the ideal number of employees that you need today? Because don't just go out there and say, man, I can't find employees. Tell me, how many employees do you need? You know, so instead of saying, I can't find good employees, say, I am in need. The perfect size for my company would be to bring on three additional employees. Or when we grow sales to, you know, if, if we grow sales to 10 million, at that point, I'm anticipating that I will need four additional employees to support that sales growth or whatever the case may be. But first off, be, be like, have a plan of of what you're, what you're trying to do. Don't just sit there and say, I can't find employees and don't have this attitude of just because someone left, you now are like, well, I I need to replace their position. I'm like, no, no, no. Think about it. The the second thing that I'm going to say as to why I think that's a stupid statement to make 
is tell me what a good employee is before you ever say you can't find a good employee. Like, tell me what you really care about. So if you care about that they have good customer relations, are you really going to get bent out of shape if they show up to work 15 minutes late? Because is that important? Does that matter? I mean, maybe That's it does. Right. You know, if, if you own a restaurant and breakfast has to, you know, start at 5 a.m. and you've got employees that don't show up until 7.15, that's not going to work for your model. But if you've got like an advertising advertisement agency, who cares when they show up? And so, you know, ask yourself, what are the actual things that you need from these employees? Because we're so conditioned to think that, oh, well, they're a bad employee if they don't show up on time, or they're a bad employee if they're always on their cell phone. Does it matter? You know, like, like, do I care if they're always on their cell phone? If they get all their work done and then want to look at TikTok videos, do I really care? No, because they got all, you know, they got everything done that I needed done. But that's kind of on me to determine what actually needs to be done. You know, if I don't know what needs to be done and then I'm mad at them for not doing it, mm, that's bad management. And when I, when I hear that comment, one of my first responses is always this. Um, what is your training program for your company? Mm-hmm. Because too often we think, I just need to hire someone and we expect that they come with these skill sets. And, and we hear that comment a lot in entry-level jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. more commonly than others, I would probably say not, not always, but more commonly. And so I always ask, what is your training program for this department or this group of employees? And 99 times out of 10, well, out of 100. <laughs> <clears throat> ne- ne- next, we'll be doing a segment on math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I'm so good at math. <laughs> why my numbers always work. I know, I know. <laughs> so, Anyways, a high percentage, <laughs> since we're doing percentages today, um, of them don't have a training program, right. which is super frustrating for me. Right. And, and mostly because that's a dominant piece of what I feel is super important. Even if I have employees who are t- totally content, love what they're doing, want to stay with the organization, I'm still going to force them to do professional development. Mm-hmm. Okay. That That is a piece that never goes away. Mm-hmm. It does not. So when... When you look at those positions, even entry-level positions, you need to have a training program. Even if it's a, uh, a receptionist-type position where they're the first ones coming in, uh, my argument is is they're, they're talking to more people about your business. They better be good. Mm-hmm. And you better have a training program in place so that they know exactly what you expect. They're constantly being trained, and they're becoming better at what they do. So, especially with that customer interaction. So, so, so I know you're going to keep going with that, but I'm going to just give a, a yeah, recommendation please. on training programs. Uh, I see a lot of businesses that they get hung up because they think that it has to be like a formal three ring binder mm-hmm. manual type nope. training program. Uh, I love that you said it needs to be ongoing professional development. I was working with a company that had a receptionist. The receptionist was fully trained on how to answer phones, answer emails, fill out all the forms, take sales orders. Like they were fully trained, but they kept having problems with their receptionist. They're like, they just don't get it. They don't understand, you know, how to interact with the customers. And I don't mm-hmm. know how to teach it. And so what I advised to them is I said, we'll start sending them to outside events. And so they, they ended up sending yes, them to networking advice. luncheons sponsored by their local chamber of commerce. And they're like, well, what, what good is that going to do? Because, <laughs> you know, it's like that has nothing to do with them being a receptionist. And I'm like, 
What that That's does, it, it allows them to network with other professionals. And when they start seeing that other professionals don't make stupid comments, that other professionals dress a certain way, act a certain way, they start realizing, oh, that's how I should be when I'm on the phone. And so, you know, you can do ongoing training by, you know, your, your, your chamber of commerce luncheon. It's not just for the CEO to go network. You know, send your employees to that or whatever the case may be. Yeah, great advice. There, there you go. There's my plug. That's a pitch for, you know, the local chambers. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, that that's actually great, great counsel because I think too often that you're right. And I love the comment that our training program is in a three-ring binder. If you have a training program in a three-ring binder, I'm not going to say throw it away, but don't it, throw it away. Unless you actually use it, which yeah. you don't. If yeah. it's been on the shelf There's, for more than six months, yeah. throw it away. Yeah, because your training programs need to be dynamic, interactive, always constantly changing. Um, you know, I, my, <laughs> I'm going to go on a little bit of a <laughs> squirrel, so you might have to pull me back. Um, in the world that we live in now, large organizations constantly do harassment training yes. and it's exactly the same every year. And as soon as it comes up, you've zoned out and, and it has no effect anymore. Mm-mm. It has zero effect. And they, and I just like you, you can't, you can't have that same training year after year after year and think it's going to be impactful. You're just doing something to avoid the liability now. Yeah. And yeah. that, that's the wrong reason to do it. Right. Okay. No, we want to develop and professionally make our employees better. And even though I understand that there's not a whole lot you can stray inside of there, I still see trainings and opportunities where you could say, we could tweak this, we could change this, we could involve some scenarios, we could do other things to help make it impactful every year. So, so they come away feeling as if they are and can do better. So... We could do, in fact, yeah, okay, we're, this we're, is a squirrel. And we're we we're going to do an episode on how to do effective training. I think that'll be an excellent oh, episode. We'll have it coming okay. up. All right. All uh, right. Let's let's get back. I want to jump back into the report because there's some great information that we haven't really covered in the report. So for those of you who, you know, this will be the teaser. If you want to know how to do effective training, some do's and some don'ts, we'll do, uh, we'll do a full episode on how to train employees. But I want to jump back to this report because what we've danced around, we've alluded to, but we haven't honed in on yet, is that you need to adjust your methodology to what people in the workforce are looking for. So if you're stuck in that rut of saying, I can't find good employees, we're going to talk to you. This is studied, you know, data-driven information right now. We're going to talk to you about some things that you need to be thinking about in your company to attract the right kind of employee. So can we can we jump yeah. in there and, yep. and, okay. and, and cover some things on, on that report about how to attract the right kinds of employees? So the study then kind of breaks down the workforce into uh, sectors of personality, probably, mm-hmm. uh, of... I would call it segments more than sectors. Okay. Segments of personalities or, or workplace employee traits of what drives them. Yes. Okay. So you have those that are just uh, the do-it-yourselfers, go-getter. I'm always, you know what I mean? And we, we would classify them different, but I'm going to stick to what the study is saying. Well, but, and I think it's interesting on this do-it-yourself, a lot of them left the workforce to start their own business. Yes. Yeah. And- that doesn't mean that that's the best fit for them. So, you know, you can provide a do-it-yourself 
environment yes. within an organization. Uh, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of jumping yes. ahead, uh, getting into some specifics, yeah. but but that's what it means when it says do it yourself. Is yes. These are the people that are likely you know jumping out, starting their own business. They want autonomy. So the the idealists um, for me is self explanatory. They just their vision of the world and their ideas and. They have this utopia and things like that. I mean, it's very, uh, you'll see that, you know, meaningfulness of work is very high for them. They care about culture. They care about yes. environmental issues, political issues. Correct. You know, they're involved outside of the company in different things, and they want a company that supports the same ideals that they have, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and remind me, let's come back to, because I do want to talk about that piece. They're engaged in activities outside of the workplace. Mm-hmm. Because when we talk about benefits, that's when benefit is allowing employee and on the clock um, to be engaged in things like that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk more about that because too often employers shun that and I just shake my head and I'm like, ah, oh, you don't get it. There's <laughs> so much value in allowing employees to have some time to do that. Right. The last one then is uh, caregivers and others, um, individuals who then uh, have other factors um when you hear caregiver, it's not necessarily I'm taking care of grandma or my elderly parents. It's uh, I have a family. It's There's a side about them that's more engaged in other people's lives. So, so this is super interesting. Um, I got together with family. Uh, you know, we, uh, we were celebrating uh, one, of the, one of the local holidays here. And I bump into my nephew that I haven't seen for quite some time. And I just ask him, what is he, what is he up to? Uh, he just recently graduated uh, with a degree in uh, biological engineering. Wow, good for him. I know. So here's the crazy thing. They just had a new baby and his wife teaches school. He's going to quit his job to stay home with the baby so that she can go back to school. It's summertime right now. She's gearing up to go back to school. He's going to quit his job with the idea that he's going to start working from home. And I thought that that was super fascinating because the traditional view would be that the man with a degree in engineering is going to go out and get some high-paying job, and, you know, the wife has to figure out how to make it work. And they... They flipped it. They said, no, she's going to go back teaching school. He's going to figure out some way to work from home, you know, and so that would be, that would be that group right there. Okay. So now let's look at just some of the factors that the study points out that are significant and um, workplace flexibility was in the top one or two for all of those categories. Mm -hmm. Okay. This has been (laughs) almost a theme for becoming a theme for this episode that, that is employers, we need to look at that and find ways inside of our organizations to make sure that we're allowing more flexibility. I'm not saying complete flexibility, but, but the get, ad- adequate flexibility that allows them to have that life fulfillment enjoyment. Yeah, get flexible with your business. Whatever stage your business is in, get flexible. Honestly, that could be the takeaway from this episode. There's going to be some other nuances, but mm-hmm. get flexible with your work schedule, the location of work, the project that, that they get to work on. You know, just get flexible. Um, then... And then it's a kind of a mix then across the board for these two factors, meaningfulness of work and compensation, mm-hmm. which so, and we kind of talked about those are on the top three going anyways. Um, 
Then you get into... Now, um, now I want to talk about meaningfulness of work here for a okay, second, if that's right. okay. I know, and this episode is going to be longer than most of our episodes, but there's a lot of content and we're going to cover it. So, Okay. Um, <clears throat> meaningfulness of work. This is, this is really interesting because I had this firsthand. Uh, so I actually, um, I, I work for a company called Dustless Technologies where I oversee all of their sales marketing and their R&D for, for this company. And our lead engineer, I talked to him once and I said, hey, you know, what do you think? And he's like, honestly, I'm not that excited about the products that we put out. You know, I don't get that motivated about them. And so I asked him, I'm like, what does motivate you? And he said, well, I like creating. Like, that's why I went into engineering. He actually went into industrial design and development. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I want to create things. I, I hate how, you know, we just get very rigid. And so one of the things I told him is I said, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to take 10% of your work week. So if it's a 40-hour work week, that's four hours, right? I want you to take 10%, and during that 10%, I want you to just play an experiment. And, there, like, there's no there, 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 there's no deadlines. There, there's no restrictions. It doesn't even have to be something. And this is very much a, a Google model, right? Yes. This, is, yes. this is 100% stolen from Google because that's how they operate. And, and I told him to do that. And it was amazing how much more engaged he became. And honestly, uh, you know, on the compensation side, and I've told him directly, I'm like, you're worth more than what the company is paying you if you chose to, you know, pursue that. And he's like, I enjoy what I'm doing right now. So, you know, I'm good. And, and so on meaningfulness of work, you know, how much time do employees have to do what they think should be done in the company or are they told everything that needs to be done? And that's where you lose a lot of this meaningfulness. Like they want to contribute to something. They want to have something to brag about to their spouse or, you know, at a party or whatever. Like if they're not talking about their work with excitement, then it's not meaningful to them. And and I'm going to throw this in and I know it's going to be a little bit of a cog, but people who understand it will go, oh, I totally get it for for some of you, we might need to have another discussion or reach out to Ryan Murray and ask more questions. <laughs> Is that based off of um, those four major Meyer and Briggs personality types uh-huh. is going to depend on what becomes meaningful to them. Yes. What's meaningful to your accountant is different than what's meaningful to your salesperson, which is meaning, which is different than what's meaningful to your manager. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, you, you've got to, we've tried to build and, and sh- make sure that we've pounded this into your head from the start of this episode that, that you've got to look at the bigger picture in the different departments and what they do and those characteristics and those traits. And because you can't, you, you can't just assume that, Oh, Hey, great. Um, everyone just wants to be able to create. And I'm going to go to the account and say, Hey, what do you want to create today? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not them. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I think it's so interesting. This is a triad, you know. You, you talk about everyone wanted flexibility, everyone wanted adequate compensation, and everyone mm-hmm. wanted meaningfulness of work. Now, there are differing degrees, yes, but these are all important factors. And honestly, if you don't have, like, the compensation mix, because everyone right now is going to, oh, if I want to attract talent, I have to, you know, raise my wages. And with a global economy, if you're in, you know, like a rural part that wages are historically low and now you're competing against, you know, people who are working from home used to, you know, like New York wages mm-hmm. or big city wages, yeah. and you're like, I can't pay those kinds of wages. I'm like, then don't. 
but focus on the other aspects, you know, that meaningfulness of work, you will get someone who will take a pay cut if they are engaged in what they are doing. And so, you know, That's have correct. some some solid engagement. And you can tell if someone's engaged. It's not hard to see That's right. if they're engaged or not. So um, so that meaningfulness of work is is important, and we do want to value it. So let's talk about just little simple things now um, that allow employees to have a better experience and feel as if there's some growth opportunities in there. And that is understanding what your employees actually like. Yeah. Outside of work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I've found over the years that um, sometimes the employee, uh, when they watch the management team always going to lunch and they feel like they're left out, that's what they want to be engaged with. Just take me to lunch with you mm-hmm. occasionally. Okay. Other times I've learned that it's, hey, I have a huge sports fan in here. And the $50 jazz tickets to give them to say thank you and we appreciate the things that you're doing, um, sending them off to a free jazz game is so, huge. So, so for those of you who don't live in Utah, which is a very large percentage of the world, <laughs> jazz is our Utah basketball team in the NBA. Yeah, it's not a not musical music. group. <laughs> there, there's a little history of why that name is there. But, yeah, he's talking about a basketball tickets or, right or now. other professional sports <laughs> soccer football or a jazz concert or a jazz, yeah it could be but you don't find that much in utah uh, it could be the garth brooks uh, i don't know garth brooks concert you know what i mean sure so yeah. if you understand if you take enough time to just have personal conversations with your employees and understand that it's really easy to start to develop this and, yeah and it Yes, if your organization gets bigger, it becomes harder to do that and you have to rely on it. But however, it's a good practice to take a little bit of time every day and understand what's going on in their other parts of their life. Because if if flexibility of work um, is out there, there's a reason why they want that flexibility because mm-hmm. of other factors that are going on. And when you understand that, you can, you can now build uh, not what I would say total benefit package around, but some that just because remember – that wages, okay, compensation is only a satisfier. Yeah. Okay. You When you finally understand that, then you start looking for those other things that now sweeten the deal that make your employees feel like there are opportunities inside the organization for them to actually embrace and so, grow. So, so l- l- let me give a couple examples of things that I've seen that companies have done that I think are pretty intelligent. There was one company that had a sales guy. Uh, his kid actually made it into a, uh, it was a national baseball tournament. Oh, yeah. And so uh, he was going to travel. And what the company did for flexibility is they found some leads, or they actually had the sales guy find some leads in the area that he was traveling for the competition Mm. and said, Hey, you go visit those leads. We'll cover the hotel as a business expense because you know, like the, the, he only had to attend one or two games a day. So he had tons of time and you know, and so, you know, this sales guy was super excited. I'll tell you what, it was a lot cheaper than paying a sales commission, you know, being like, okay, I'll give you 20% off, you know. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the, the company probably paid out three, $400 in hotel nights. That's nothing. And this employee thought it was the coolest thing ever. So it was super cheap as a company expense, and they were very excited about it. The other thing that I see that... I, I see this unfortunately happen the wrong way too often. There are very few that get this right, and it's not a difficult thing to do. 
when an employee gives you input, act on it. Yes, yes. If, if you want them to feel appreciated, you know, if you want buy-in from your company, when they give you input, act on it, even if you don't agree. If you're going to take the time to ask them what you think, or excuse me, ask them what they think, then you need to follow up with that and you need to do something with that. And you'll find that you don't, that costs you nothing, you know, it yeah. costs you nothing, but people don't do it because it's like, well, that's not my idea or, you know, and I'm like, who cares? Who cares if it even fails? Because if you act on it and it fails and the employee sees that one, they learn from it, you know, they make better decisions in the future. And two, they're like, wow, they respected me, you know? Yes. Yeah. And so there, there are ways to meet some of these employee needs that, you know, it doesn't always have to be, okay, let me give you, you know, uh, basketball tickets or concert tickets or something like that. Whereas if that's important to them, you give them perks. They like it. Some people like T-shirts. Not my jam, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, so I guess maybe for my, my last point of advice or thoughts on this subject today, because this has been... I love the data. You know, I love data. I love looking mm. at it. I love understanding it. How does it impact? Um, how, how does it help me change as an individual to become a better individual bec- um, is what we do. But here's here's my final point. As business owners, managers, top executives, we spend too much time in our own world trying to just be, you know, the manager and dealing with those problems. Mm. And if you really want to make some healthy change in there, we have to set that hat aside sometimes and we actually have to become human and we have to spend time with those employees to understand this and how do we, how can we develop them? And we can't do that when my nose is always looking at the financial reports. Yeah. I can't do that when I'm always staring at the market research and how do I, how do I increase the sales and which is the next market that we need to get into? Okay. Mm-hmm. We have to set those aside. And so my parting comment is please take time every week to take that one hat off and put on the human hat and just wander and talk with those that you work around. And you'll find that a lot of those things will start to take care of themselves. If every time you talk to an an employee, it's always about a concern, that employee will start to avoid you because that's right. It's, it's, you know, if you talk to an employee and just be like, hey, how was your weekend? What'd you do? And leave it at that. Don't use it as a segue to get into, well, by the way, I've noticed that your performance is a little bit lacking. You're like, no, no, yeah. no, no. Just ask them how their weekend was and let it go. Yeah, that's right. So. And, and and too often that's exactly what we do is we always come in, how are things going? Okay, now let's talk about... Yeah, and it's like, okay, get the chit-chat out of the way so that we can now get to business. I'm like, no, 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 just keep it a relationship. That's right. So, uh, excellent. And I do want to point out the fact that this is our interpretation of the data. I will put the reference to the data, uh, you know, a link to the report so that you guys can actually form your own interpretation. It was an excellent report. Uh, Really liked it. Uh, But, yeah, this is our interpretation of the data. We hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time, maybe with something on training how to do effective training yeah we need to do that one okay sounds good thanks everyone bye
Take control of your business today. Go to LearnDesk.us and search Marketing Management and Money for the small business insights you've always wanted. Be sure to stay tuned for new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of every month and make sure to subscribe to be notified when we release bonus content such as interviews and short discussions.